Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. Hey, Will. Hey, Gordon. <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> We're in the middle of uh, wrapping up the school year. Yeah, it's hectic. Getting grade, oh, man, Whew. getting grades done. You just had a marine biology test. Uh, had a what? big big party. Big party. Yeah. We couldn't go to the coast, so we brought the coast to us and ate up a whole bunch of good lingcod right. and halibut and squid and octopus. Wow, where'd you where'd you so do that? One of the I, one of the students' dads has a connection in Ketchikan, Alaska. Right. And so she went down to the dock and threw a whole bunch of stuff in the cooler and shipped it. And so nice. we uh, Where we did got you some eat? Nice Where was the This was at Logos School. Oh, at there in the auditorium. School. Yeah. Great. Chef Otto Nielsen came out and deep fried stuff and made us amazing seaweed and and uh, salad. Got some terrestrial fare too, some morels and some wood okay. sorrel and all right. that good local. That's great. Fare, yeah. And you're wrapping up a um yeah, botany. Um, yeah, intensive? so I, right after graduation I had to do an um uh, uh, an intensive, a week and a half uh, intensive elective in uh, botany. So we've been working through um, the study of plants. Cool. And really telescoping uh, a term's worth or eight weeks worth into a week and a half. I so, can't imagine. Yeah. That. Basically, uh, a week is a day. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So this is like the day age theory. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And uh, so plants are on my mind right now. But yeah, um, well, that's we're a doing good... a doing a creature feature, and I kicked it over to you, Will. We are, uh, and uh, I said, what do you want to, what do you want to do? We did a herp last time. Yeah, the rubber boa. Yeah, and uh, so you got to choose. Yes, sir. And this group of birds, I'm, I remember discovering this group of birds with, with friends who had already discovered them in college. And this, this is kind of the, you know, we're going to get in a little bit into the, the birding subculture here and just Great. I like of, to learn the terminology so, so yeah. that I can sound like a birder. <laughs> well, right on. <laughs> we will do some of that. And, and I was inspired too, because I came home last night and, you know, lo and behold, uh, my, uh, second and third oldest son and my wife were watching the movie, the big year, um, okay. which is a pretty good depiction of birding subculture. It's a comedy, you know, you might have to, you have to fast forward through a couple little parts there, but by and large, you know, it's, it's a hilarious look at some birders who a big year is when you try to see as many birds in North America as you can in one year. And it, uh, Jack Black and Steve Martin and Owen Wilson, it's okay. just a hoot. Okay. And it does a pretty good job. So we're the, the pinnacle of that spring migration, especially fall migration somewhat, but spring migration uh, in North America, especially Eastern North America. It's not so much where we are. Right. East of the Rockies, it's all about the warblers. Okay. You start talking warblers and the birders just geek out. Right. Uh, and that's for a couple of reasons. They're, they are uh, they are incredibly colorful. This is the family Parulidae. They're called the New World or the Wood Warblers. 
um, distinguished from the old world warblers, which were historically they were in the taxon Sylvidae, and that that's a, a big conglomeration of a whole bunch of uh, really what you said earlier the the LBJs, the little brown jobs. Yeah, but it seems like the predominant you said colorful. These so are they're very not. Colorful. Is there more like little yellow jobs? Many uh, of yeah, I that mean, would be more fair. Um, Yellow's the predominant color. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking at this reds. page. Blues and reds and. And yeah, green. but a lot of the warblers, I would say the the majority of them have this uh, prevailing yellow mm-hmm. venter and um, grays and stuff. And to be honest with you, I was uh, when you came up with the uh, topic. Yeah, I said I'm totally fine with that, but I know absolutely nothing <laughs> about warblers. Not, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm learning my birds, but I'm yeah. saving the warblers for, well, you said the East is sort of the, the mainstay for the, the warblers, not too much out here. And yeah. we have feeders and, and they're not um, really a feeder bird. They're not a feeder bird. Yeah. So that's why I don't see them. Yeah. And, uh, so if you go out birding in the woods, you, they're, is it a fleeting glimpse? Uh, so they're, they're, <laughs> they're challenging. So the, one of the reasons they're kind of like the, uh, the one of the groups that, that birders would consider kind the, of the pinnacle, the holy grail, yeah, thing. is that they're they're small, they move rapidly, and and, and so, they so it's are harder, it's harder so, to check off, and your they're list. typically arboreal above your head, and so okay. we call warbler neck. When you're craning your neck back for hours, right, and all you're seeing is the underside of this tiny thing that's yellow and white and gray and moving around, right, and we call that one or the or the famous silhouette warbler. Okay, you can so, look at it for thirty minutes and not know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Because you're not seeing. And that's the what I've noticed about. Back. That's what I've noticed about birding, which I think is for a herp herp person, where they can get it, grab it, look at it. They see the colors, the lighting, the texture, everything. With birding, it's always sort of at a distance, and it's never, or it's generally never lit like a nice picture in a field guide. Right. It's backlit with sky. You don't see the colors, right? You sort like you said, it's silhouette-y. Yeah. And so it's, I guess, a challenge for birders. Yeah. I so get... that's probably why they um, gravitate yeah. to it because you're sort of your um, backseat birder like me who is content to see a few feeder, you know, birds that yeah. go to feeders. Um, that th- This is sort of where you're getting to be hardcore birdie. Yeah. These guys, they all, I mean, from a, or a quick glance, they all look basically the same, right? Same general size and shape, same jizz. Uh, vocalization is huge, uh, with warblers. Um, and so learning their vocalizations, you almost always hear them before you see them. And uh, one thing that I love about this group, again, I, uh, I learned to bird in the, in the Appalachians and also in the upper Midwest. And so I got a good taste of those wood warblers there. There are 54 wood warblers in North America. 54. That's nice. And about 37 of those are considered Eastern. Wow. And so the vast majority are Eastern. Uh, a good number of the, the leftovers there are, are Southwestern, but there, there really are a few number of, of quote unquote Western, uh, Western wood warblers. And the distinction there would be typically the Rocky Mountains. Okay. And so East so, of the Rockies, um, they're far more abundant. So since you're talking about a whole family here, yeah, uh, and obviously there's little subtle distinctions in plumage and natural history, but could you sort of um, generalize a bit and tell tell me, since this is going to be, since I know 
uh, squat. Yeah. Um, uh, this is going to be more of a QA. That sounds great. Uh, and so tell me about warblers in gen- wood, war- wood, bleh, wood warblers. Wood warblers. Yeah, so Say they wood have warblers they're, they're 10 sm- times really fast. <laughs> yeah, they're there. So they're a small songbird. They're a perching bird. Right. Uh, so they're passeriformes. And they are, they're neotropical migrants typically. So some of them will only migrate as far south as, as the Gulf Coast. Um, okay. um, but many of them are neotropical. They'll be in, uh, they'll be in, in Mexico or central, even South, South America, uh, spending the winters there. And so they'll, they'll migrate North and many of them breed, uh, from, from the Southern States across, you know, to the Southwest, all the way up into boreal Canada. Okay. So how would they, since they're not feeder birds, uh, so are they more of an insect? Yeah, they're primarily insectivores. So they've got tiny little bills and, and some genera have bigger bills, the Dendroica, uh, genera or genus rather. Um, and, uh, the Cetophaga genus, both of those are a bit larger, uh, build, but they're all small relative to other bird species. Right. And so they're primarily eating little larvae that are hatching around new leaves that are sprouting. So wow. they're migrating through as the leaves are popping out and they're typically, uh, f- flitting, flitting around, bouncing around the treetops, eating different types of, lots of, of different insect, of like insects. Like a- a- do they like aphids or is there a particular, are there any little insect? You know, will really, do? I would say <clears throat> uh, Lepidoptera and larva is one of okay, the most so important for them. Yep. That's uh, a fancy way of saying caterpillar. That's, yeah. Lep larvae. The lep larvae. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what entomologists call caterpillars. Nice. Because, you know, lay people just say caterpillar. They just say caterpillar. <laughs> gotta have some. They and you gotta, gotta some alliteration even. Exactly. Lep, lep larvae. larvae. I like that. So they love the lep larvae. Okay. And um, and they tend to be arboreal um, so, in, in where they feed and in, in where they nest. They build little cup-shaped nests. And, mm-hmm. and lay their eggs. Um, and, you know, early migration, you'll see the birds that are passing through. Um, and they're going to be moving farther north. One thing that I love to do is I love looking at range maps. And so if you, if you look at a range map, for example, of some mm-hmm. of these warblers. Yeah. And I'll pull, trying to find my field guide here too. Yeah, and Sibley's field guide is absolutely the best. I'm so I'm so happy when Sibley's came out. Of course, the others are are, are got good the, and important. We've too. got the same edition. There's a new newer edition on the west. On the westerns. Yeah. Nice. And so, if you were to look, for example, uh, let's take let's take the yellow, uh, let's take the yellow warbler for example. Dendro. It's one of what the dendroicans. Page, what page is that? And it's 371 in mine. Or it's the same. Yeah, 371. So that's the yellows are, uh, so I saw four warblers, for example, I went birding last Sunday morning before church, saw four warblers in the same general location. That's really good for the out West in our part of the world. Back East, you could see 20 species in one day in one morning outing, Wow, maybe even more up to 30. And so, and one of the neat things about these warblers is they actually migrate through in a very predictable order. Uh, and so when we would go birding in central Wisconsin, uh, and we were taking ornithology, we knew which warblers were, were the first one and which was the second one and which was right. the third one. And so every, we'd go out almost every morning. And so, uh, you know, that's, that makes it really fun too, is because you're looking at the range map and you're, mm-hmm. you're thinking about who, who was here yesterday and who's going to be here tomorrow. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, something about wood warblers, they, they really have beautiful breeding plumage. They're mm-hmm. striking. That, that first image, I would say, uh, at the beginning of each family section in, in Sibley's, he kind of puts a whole he, bunch. He puts a whole bunch up, but he tends to put uh, non breeding plumage or female breeding plumage. And so it doesn't capture the, the true. Uh, the true colorful nature of these guys. So the yellow warbler is is rare in that it has a uniform uh, or com- uh, it has a completely continental range. That's unusual. What is a more common type of range if you turn to the black throated green warbler on what? 375. Got it. And if you guys have your field guides, you can look along too. Uh, the Eastern, Western Sibleys, the, the, any field yeah, guide will do. Is, yeah. But as far as if you want page numbers, you have to have the um, Western Sibleys. Yeah. Guide. So if we, if we look at the black throated green down there on three. Got it. Yeah. So notice That's its a really range. Good looking. Good looking bird. Its range is very, this is a typical Eastern uh, warbler range. And notice it goes way up into it goes British way Columbia. up into British Columbia. And so uh, a lot of these Eastern warblers, they won't range west of the Rockies in the U.S., but they'll range almost up to the Rockies and further into Canada. That's because the yep. available boreal forest right. in Canada allows for, for really for that yeah. range expansion. And so the arid west doesn't get those creatures, but Boreal Canada does. So why that not, why not the Rocky Mountains? If Bo- Boreal Canada wouldn't that be similar to? Yeah, well, I'm sure there's all sorts of weird. Bio, yeah, so a lot of that, a lot of that is. Oh, just, it does that gray. What's that sort of grayish area? That grayish area is where they would be very unusual to see. Okay. Yep, so that's kind of the edge of their range. But compare that range to the Townsend's Warbler on the previous page. Yeah. And wow, these, these and that's are, all west of the Rockies. Yeah, so these are conspecifics. These two birds are, are nearly identical, but we see Townsend's. That's one of our more common warblers here in the summer. Um, and it's very similar in its sound and its vocalization to a black-throated green warbler, huh. which we don't see here. And so those two range maps are indicative of a western warbler versus an eastern warbler. Shouldn't they be lumped? And yeah, just saying, they okay, do there's have... regional differences, but they could probably cross. And... Oh, gosh, the lumping and splitting. I, I, I haven't looked at the details to, uh, yeah. to sort out. They do have a slightly different vocalization. Yeah, kind of like the black-capped chickadee and the Carolina right. chickadee. There's a little bit of a vocalization difference, but to the untrained eye, they look pretty, pretty much yeah. the same. Yeah. So, um, and the other interesting range here would be the, the southwestern type of range where you see like the hermit warbler, um, which is on that same page, or another southwestern warbler would be the, the Lucy's warbler. Or, I see or that. Virginia's that's that's warbler. A, a, a little gray job. Yeah, they're really tiny. Lucy's is the smallest of the North American wood warblers. The most beautiful of the North American wood warblers, I remember seeing it for the first time. Uh, so, um, we would go out multiple times a week and we were looking for all these warblers and my college advisor was a, just an avid birder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he was in the mix and in motivating us and exciting us. And, and I does this one bird I really wanted to see at the time. And it was the black Bernian warbler page mm-hmm. 377. And it stood out to me because unlike the others, oh, which are really mostly yellow, looking... just this brilliant flame orange. Yeah throat 
almost sort of a an oriole uh, orange. Yeah, and I remember the first sighting of the Blackburnian warbler I had during a, a we were at a county park, I think, in in Portage County, Wisconsin, and uh, this bird was there. And those the camaraderie of the birding uh, thing is a big part of it too. Yeah, you know, we'd go out four to six of us at a time, and just have a hoot. Right. Um, uh, just That's great. trying to see different things. And now, the have you ever seen the? Is it the cerulean? I have seen the cerulean. They're quite quite rare. Okay. Uh, ceruleans are a bird of the high canopies uh, in the eastern deciduous forest. They're probably, I would say, actually, they they are probably the warbler of most conservation concern. Okay. Um, they're not they're not doing very well. Um, there's for some a great reason. quote. I wish I had it, and I don't know if I've because um, one one of our Notes from the Field uh, episodes, we had quotes from books. Yeah. And there's a great quote in um, Aldo Leopold's Sand County Almanac that refers to the Cerulean Warbler. Oh, that's awesome. And I'll, I'll have, have to, to bring that. I, I don't know yes. if I've read it. I need already, to reread but... that. Yeah. Sand County Almanac. That's a good one. Good book. Oh, yeah. The, the, so I know a couple of these warblers better than others, so maybe just a few stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I know the best is the oven bird. Yes, because you did research. I got to do some grad research on the oven bird in western North Carolina, and oven bird's a weird one. Yeah, it looks pretty distinct from the other. It really what is. Can, it's it's uh, brownish brownish uh, on, the, on the back and these streaked sides. The coloration, it almost looks like a thrush like a wood thrush. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's a lot smaller and unlike most passeriformes, definitely unlike most warblers, this bird actually walks and that might not sound like a big deal. Of course it's an animal, it's a vertebrate, it walks. Most songbirds hop. If you, yeah. if you watch them on the ground, they hop and this bird actually walks. It has these really long toes and this long gait hmm. and, uh, incredibly You cryptic. would think that that would be, um, sort of a, ta- a, a a bigger taxonomic distinction walking versus hopping it uh, it, it either it, it might be the only one in its genus okay so Cyurus aracapolis is the scientific name of the oven bird um do you know what page it's in uh it's towards the end i think it's towards the end of the wood warblers here i'm looking good old oven bird they occasionally make it out here page 383 it's it's lumped okay. with two other birds that walk and those are called the water thrushes three and, okay there's a, yeah and like i said earlier it looks like it has a pretty high forehead like it it's got a bigger um brain case but maybe it's just the feathers are sticking up yeah more. they will occasionally you can see that kind of rusty crest which is kind yeah. of a lateral stripe there um, and they, so yeah, tell us about, okay. So, guy. um, I was tasked with, I was tasked with, um, attempting to find oven bird nests and we were trying to get a good sense for the, how, how much they were feeding their young. And so we actually tr- set up a true experiment in mm-hmm. the woods, which was kind of fun. Uh, we had a whole bunch of oven bird nests that we found and they're difficult. They're called oven birds because they build this dome shaped nest out of grass. And someone thought it looked like a Dutch oven. Okay. And they actually walk inside of this, which is an unusual nest uh, style for this type of bird. Uh, and they would they fly in, and then they'd walk up to you know a couple of dozen yards to the nest, which makes them incredibly difficult to find. A little brown bird walking slowly 
after flying and landing somewhere else. Really hard to find the nest. Um, so, but we found a few, and we set up this little experiment where we put a, a tray of uh, mealworms in front of the nest, okay. and we'd watch those nests, and we'd watch the other set, the other sample of nests without the experimental treatment. And then we would we would uh, measure reproductive reproductive success over the course of the season and see if there's a correlation between uh, that increased food supply, supposedly mm-hmm. or purportedly in increased food supply, and their reproductive success. And this is an ongoing, long long term experiment that my advisor uh, Ted Simons was working on. Ted, Ted Simons and Jaime Callazo at NC State. Um, they they uh, were operating. Uh, under this under this theory that uh, the those southern Appalachian mountains are so rich and dense in habitat, they really should sh- should serve as a source population mm-hmm. for a lot of species. But they right. didn't seem to be producing as much as as the people thought they should. So this was part of that testing. Right. Um. But w- this I I was so, so blessed to be able to to go up to the, I got to band nestlings and hold them in my hand and get just great looks at this oven bird, um. And they are right. vocal. They are sick. Just the nestlings or the adults? Did you uh, catch and miss nets? We didn't miss nets. We didn't do any miss netting. We just uh, we just banded the nestlings so we could watch them, um, uh, their feeding rates after they fledged. And uh, the oven bird has and this loud, they... loud kind of teacher, 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 teacher uh, okay. vocalization. They've actually been heard and seen in the UI Arboretum. Wow. So rarely Latah County, very rarely. Wow. They've made it here. Their range map doesn't suggest that. And so no, as, well, it's still got that gray beige uh, covering, so okay. that would be rare. Yeah, out out west. So the oh. oven birds, they're 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 a good warbler. Yeah, another favorite of mine is the hooded warbler, which is a southern specialty, uh, and it's a couple pages further along. The hooded warbler is on three eighty eight. Um, and you'll like the genus, I think. Oh yeah, that's a pretty one. And by the way, for those listeners who obviously this is only audio, so we don't have these nice diagrams to show you, but yeah, you can look up these birds, uh, either if you have the field guide, might be a different field guide, but just look in the contents. And then uh, if you don't have a field guide, you can just go online and go to All About Birds and type in uh, these these names and then yeah. pull up not only paintings like you see in the field guides, they won't have paintings in All About Birds, all photos, and but good photos. Yeah. And vocalization and everything. So And it's such it's so helpful to look at a variety of photos and these what they call plates, these colorful paintings. Uh, the colorful paintings are great because they they try to give a general impression of the right. field marks. And each photo is going to, you know, each individual bird and the lighting and all that jazz is going to, is going to um, give you an impression that, that might not be uh, exactly yeah. what you see. Yeah. And so it's nice to look at a few different photos. Yeah. So this genus is a good one, isn't it? Wilsonia. Yeah. yeah. Wilsonia. So that's, that's one of the smaller warbler genera. Wilsonia citrina. So that lemon yellow uh, of the of the uh, hooded warbler and the hooded warbler a black a black hood that actually extends all the way around the neck and to, covering the throat. This uh, warbler uh, weaves a beautiful little cup nest. I got to study them in the Cuyahoga River Valley, um, and Canton, uh, 
uh, or outside of Akron, Ohio. Uh, during college, it was a summer job working for the Smithsonian Conservation Bird Center. And and this uh, this bird um, is just very vocal. And so I thought it might be fun. I don't know if this is going to work, but I thought it might be fun to hear a couple of vocalizations. Sure. And that's one of the things that uh, warblers are known for, too, is just complex vocalizations. Sparrows and warblers, just so many different notes. Right. And... Um, yeah, and and most of their vocalization vocalizations are distinct from one another, uh, compared to say something like a like a gull. So here's a hooded warbler. Let's see if this works. Maybe you can hear that. Maybe I not. can hear it. Thank you, sir. Maybe you're. <laughs> That's a hooded warbler. That's um, great. Yeah. Now I was looking at some of the the jizz, which is general. Impression, size, and shape mm -hmm. on some of these warblers, and they some of them sort of have a nut um, a nut hatch, like this worm-eating warbler. Oh, one of my favorites, right here. Yeah, sort of has a nut hatch head and bill. Yes, would you say? I would agree. Yes, um, the behavior is in nut hatch. Yeah, but they're, they um, do but have yeah. that type of appearance, and that's just um, my. To my untrained eye. No, but. that's a great observation, and that uh, I believe the worm eater has is it is in its own genus. Yes, because hel helmitheros hel helmitheros helmitheros. Yeah, vermivora. Vermivora. Yeah, meaning vermiv um, worm eater. Yeah, that's right. There's a vermivora genus too. Mm, so vermivora. the lep, lep larvae, right? Yeah. So, and these guys are ground dwellers also. The worm-eating warbler, he really does kind of have a more flattened head. And I remember us um, uh, a state park in Pennsylvania getting some great looks at a worm-eating warbler. And, yeah, that whole group, the water thrushes, the oven bird, and the worm-eating warbler, just nice brown, black striping, a really, really gorgeous, really gorgeous what, bird. What would you say is the prettiest warbler? You know, I... I mean, some of them are have... Striking colors like mm -hmm. the, um, uh, I'd say the black Bernian mm -hmm. is really like you had mentioned earlier, and the black throated green warbler, Townsend's warbler. If I had to mention, uh, if I had to mention one really more, pretty. well, I'll mention one because there's a little bit of a behavioral difference too. So identification is is field marks, you know, song, habitat, all that stuff, but it's also some behavioral differences. And so I'll pick I'll pick one that's maybe not as attractive at first, and then we'll go to a more beautiful one. Uh, is the palm warbler, page three seventy nine, and the palm warbler, you know, in the in the um, the codex of Wisconsin birding. There's so many hardcore birders in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Wisconsin birders. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I yeah. can't wait to go birding there again. Um, the the palm warbler is known to always be. Uh, the second, the second to, uh, or the third to arrive. So in central Wisconsin, as a lot of the U.S., the the yellow rump warbler arrives first, followed by the pine warbler, which is almost always in tall white pine trees singing, and then followed by the palm warbler. And the palm warbler is interesting. It has a beautiful chestnut cap that almost makes it look yeah. a bit like a chipping sparrow. Yeah. Um, but they they actually bob their tail. Okay. Um, like a phoebe. Okay. Or like a hermit thrush, and so that's a really helpful distinction. They tend to be a little lower in the in the canopy, often mm -hmm. even in the shrub layer. 
now it goes all the way down to Florida. So is that why they call it the palm warbler? Do they have a particular? I don't know. Uh, I don't um, know why it's called that. I bet you Ehrlich knows. He probably right. has a note in his birder's handbook about that one. And this little uh, description doesn't say uh, any anything about palms, but yeah, we'll they probably have, to, have, have something to, to do with that. palms since they get all the way down in the southeastern United States. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah, so maybe... Very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that I thought was, you know, the inscrutable group of birds was the sparrows. Oh, those, they're tough. Those are, those are what I call the little brown jobs. Yes. That, um, and I, and I'm, I'm making headway. I'm I maybe can identify a half dozen or so. Yeah. Uh, but those are the ones that have really clear field marks, you know, whether it's the house sparrow or the white, uh, white crown sparrow or, um, uh, the chipping sparrow. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. Sparrows are a challenge. Yeah. It's great. Migration's uh, great because you can see a brown, lot of them together. Streaky brown birds that are small and yeah. On the ground. And on the ground. It's like <laughs> great camouflage. At yeah. least the, you know, at first when I saw that first page of the um, warblers. Yeah. You know, I saw this and like you said, they were not the breeding plumage, but as I was, and so you'd see sort of this gray um, sort of pastel green and yellow. And so I was thinking it was, they were sort of um, all somewhat kind of yellowish. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. greenish, yellowish, yeah. grayish. But then when you flip through the pages um, where Sibley starts to show the breeding plumage, then you're right. It's just, wow. Those distinctions Some, jump out. Yeah. Yeah, but, one thing that's interesting, one thing that's helpful, once the breeding season comes, it becomes less challenging because breeding birds, uh, the migrating birds tend to be a bit more skittish, a bit more uh, elusive. They're higher up, they're feeding and hitting the road. Uh, mm -hmm. Breeding birds are trying to actively defend their territory. Right. And so they're usually easier to see. They'll come out in the open more. They're gonna they're gonna stay in one general location more, and now, so once they, that occurs, once they uh, form breeding pairs, are they yeah. monogamous or uh, seasonally? I mean, like in most warblers, as my my understanding is that they they are not. Um, okay. There's a lot of competition, um, mm -hmm. and so uh, other warblers will try to sneak in and, okay. and try to try to you know uh, mate yeah. mate with another individual. That is pretty common behavior. Right. Yep. Some of them will, yeah, maybe one last thing here um, in just talking about um, warbler species, um, I would say is, well, I'll just pick, I'll pick on one more, uh, one more beautiful one. And that would be the blue, a uh, black-throated blue warbler. A uh, black-throated blue is a, is, is one of the Southern specialties as well, uh, Southeastern typically. And it's just got this beautiful, dark, uh, almost slate, uh, royalish blue back and a deep dark black throat, and it's one of those uh, birds of the of the rhododendron thickets of the southern okay. Appalachians. Nice, it loves the laurel and rhododendron and all that deep, uh, uh, that deep cover in the the mixed deciduous forest. Black throated what? Black throated blue. Oh, I have a black-throated gray here. Yeah, Where's there's a, a there's a few black-throated, black-throated. Oh, there it is. It's on him. page 
373 yeah. in, our, in our guide. That's a really neat looking. It's a good looking bird right there. Now Black that's the, a, that's the oh, male. Oh, he goes way up more. He, go, he goes further in the northeast than I remembered, so I misspoke there. Way and, up, way and up that into range, the maritime yeah. provinces. And that range map is indicative of a lot of songbirds too, or a lot of birds in general, because it, at lower elevation or lower latitudes, it's higher elevation. And then uh, and that habitat down in the, the southern Appalachians of Virginia, North Carolina, is very similar to the lower elevations up in, uh, up in Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up in, you know, the Labrador, Newfoundland type of country. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks, thank Gordon. you. Thank you for uh, educating me. Well, thanks for putting up with me. That, that, oh, was, no, that's that was great. good fun. All right. We'll see you next time. We'll see you out in the field. Adios. Adios. Thank you for listening. And remember, for all your homeschool science needs, go to noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com.